You know, we have, uh, we've been in this series that we're calling This Is Us. And it's a series of looking back over 20 years and trying to really get at the heart of who God has called us to be. It's not just about looking at the past and saying these are the defining moments of our church. It's who God has shaped us to be and called us to be so that we can continue to live as that kind of people. Today, Derek and I want to bring you a message called The Soil of Awakening. And it actually comes out of a, a series from just last year. So we're getting closer and closer to, to today's time. And uh, this is a message that came last year that we want to share with you. Uh, I want to start by sharing two quotes. The first one is a quote that I've shared a number of times over the years. Uh, and it, and it, says, it goes like this. Institutionalization eventually overtakes most movements if they last long enough. The movement crystallizes into a definite pattern, including traditions to uphold and possibly vested interests to defend. Efficient bureaucrats replace zealous agitators as leaders, and members feel themselves supporters of a worthy organization rather than campaigners in a sacrificial crusade. My prayer has always been and will continue to be that that will never be the story of Christ Community Church. The second quote, I believe, is the antidote to institutionalism. And it is a call to spiritual awakening. Now, just to make sure that we understand what spiritual awakening means, let me share a second quote. It says this, To be awakened is to be aroused from sleep. To rise from a drowsy state, to become aware for the first time. God's people are awakened to the sufficiency and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. They are awakened to hear and apply the scriptures, the living word of God, to their lives with ruthless authenticity. They are awakened to the seriousness of sin, leading to a new and powerful repentance. They are awakened to the beauty and blessing of prevailing prayer. They are awakened to the tragic heartbreak of the lost condition of relatives, friends, neighbors, and work associates. In short, they are awakened to Christ, the supremacy of his power, the obligation of his purposes, and the potency of his promises and his indwelling presence to accomplish all of the above. From the very beginning, our yearning as the people of Christ Community Church has been for that kind of awakening. Uh, It's reflected in our mission statement. Uh, maybe, Maybe you'll remember what it is. Can we just read this together? Our mission at Christ Community Church is to awaken ordinary people to extraordinary life in Christ-centered community. Now, you may remember that last year, awakening was the theme of the whole year. I sensed that God was desiring to do something fresh in me and in us, to breathe fresh life and new life into our body. We prayed for a move of God, and at least to some extent, in some ways, we experienced a move of God. There was a fresh hunger for more of God. There was a new measure of passion in our worship. 
There was a greater boldness in our preaching. And I believe that God was stretching our faith as we pursued him passionately last year. But I also want to remind us this morning that the nature of fire is to go out. The nature of fire is to go out. What I mean by that is this. If you were to build a great, even a bonfire, a huge bonfire and pour fuel on it and light it, it would burn like crazy for a while. But if you didn't do anything else to it, if you left it to itself, if you didn't add fuel or continue to stoke it so that oxygen could get to the flames, eventually even the greatest of bonfires will die out. That's true of the spiritual life as well. The nature of fire is to go out. That's why we see commands throughout Scripture like pray without ceasing or be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That that verse in Ephesians 5 where Paul says be filled with the Spirit literally in the Greek is be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, or, Or we think about Paul's words to Timothy where he says to his young friend, fan into flames the gift of God that is within you. An awakening should never be equated with a series of meetings or even a season in the life of a church or in your life or mine personally. God wants to keep us awake. God wants to wake us up and to keep us awake. So that we're constantly aware of what he is doing and moving in the present moment. Not just what he did in the past, but what he wants to do right now. I believe that God wants to keep the fire uh, of his life burning at Christ Community Church. But brothers and sisters, it will not happen by chance. It won't just happen automatically. It will only happen as we are continually longing for it and looking at, uh, seeking after the Holy Spirit's fresh move in our midst. Now, let me switch metaphors for just a moment. The fire metaphor is a great one. But let me switch metaphors for just a moment and, and speak about uh, an awakening or a move of God in terms of soil. Uh, You may remember, if you were part of the call to awakening, uh, any of those calls to awakening, in one of them, I shared a reading that was based on Hosea 10, 12. This is what Hosea says. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, that he might come and rain righteousness upon you. I found this reading from A.W. Tozer. By now you know that A.W. Tozer is one of my favorites. And uh, I found a reading from him that was based on that passage. And it speaks directly to what we're talking about when we speak of a spiritual awakening. Listen to Tozer's words. They're, They're powerful. Here are two kinds of ground. Fallow ground and ground that has been broken by the plow. The fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. 
It will never see the miracle of growth. It will never know fruit because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. Directly opposed, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protective fence has been opened to admit the plow that will break its ground. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of, of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised and broken. But look at the rewards. The seed shoots up, shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in this age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and bear fruit. Nature's wonder follow the plow. There are two kinds of lives also, the fallow and the plowed. For examples of the fallow fallow life, we need not go far. They are all too plentiful among us. The man of fallow life is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. He smiles in tolerant superiority at revivals and fasting and all the travails of fruit bearing and the anguish of advance. The spirit of adventure is dead within him. The curse of such a life is that it's fixed, both in size and content. To be has taken the place of to become. He has fenced himself in, and by the same act has fenced out God and the miracle. The plowed life is life that has, in the act of repentance, thrown down the protective fences and sent the plow of confession into the soul. Such a life has forsaken the safety of death for the peril of life. I love that line. Let me say it again. Don't miss it. It's, it's exactly the backwards of, backwards of what the world would say. The plowed life is a matter of forsaking the safety of death for the peril of life. Discontent, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God, these have bruised and broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. And as always, fruit follows the plow. Such a one can testify, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. I want to ask a very simple question as we begin this morning. Can you, is there ever a time in your life when you can say, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there? Is there ever a time where you knew the sweetness of his presence Is there ever a time when you knew you belonged to him, when nothing stood in the way? Is there ever a time when you knew your life was yielded to him, to whatever he desired, to whatever he longed to bring into your life? If you've ever been in that place, you know that you can never be satisfied with anything less. 
There's no doubt that we drift. There's no doubt that there are times when the fire can begin to die or the, the field become fallow again. But you always know what it was like when you were alive. You know what it's like when he was alive in you. My guess is if you've ever been there, there is something that longs in your heart deep, in, deep down that longs to be there again. And for those who may be sitting here today and say, you know what, I, I know about church. I know about religion, but I'm not sure I've ever experienced that. Then I want, I, my prayer for you today is that there would be a seed of hope planted in your heart this day, today. And that you would not ever be content until you taste that life. And I would ask us today, why can't it be today? Why not now? Why not here? I believe with all my heart that it can. That God desires to bring his life. God longs to come to us with more. But we must have the heart and the life that is ready to receive it. Derek's going to come right now and talk about the parable of the soils and help us to understand the conditions that on the one hand block such a life and on the other hand open us to God's work so that he can do this work that we say we long for him to do. Derek, welcome. Keith, come brother. Thank you. with us. That writing by A.W. Tozer is very compelling As I watched, as Keith was reading through it, I could see the reactions on people's faces because it resonates somewhere deep down inside of us that we desire this life that Tozier is talking about. But yet we struggle because sometimes there seem to be things that block us from it. Now, Tozier is a great writer and a great storyteller, but he has nothing on the master storyteller, Jesus himself. And I would like to turn our attentions, if we would, to a parable that he told some people that gathered to hear him. We find this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, I will ask you to turn there. Matthew, chapter 13. I'm going to pick up about verse number 3, but before we do, we know a parable. A parable is a story. A story that is usually told about something that is familiar to the people that points to a greater spiritual truth. This is what Jesus is doing to, with those who have gathered to hear him. As we pick up at verse number three, we read these words. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, plant, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where they produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then he says, Who has ears? Let them You know, this parable, this story, this story told about agriculture because this is something that the people there would understand. In our day and time, you know, some of us may not connect with this so much, but some of us, y'all look like some country folks out there. I know some of y'all get this. 
But then he says, who had, who, he who has ears, let them hear. I, I would submit to us that he's talking about agriculture, but that's not the point that he really wants to drive home. Fertile ground does not remain fertile automatically. As a matter of fact, if we're not, if we're not careful, fertile ground can become fallow again. I would even go as far to say if we do nothing to fertile ground, it will become fallow again. Now, Jesus doesn't leave the disciples there to wonder what the meaning, what is the message he's trying to deliver through this parable. Because if we go further in this same chapter, he actually explains the parable to the disciples. Now, he told the story, the parable to those that were gathered, but he explained the parable to the disciples. And this is where we want to spend a few minutes. Because I believe Jesus wants to speak to us now. Because in this parable, the sower is consistent. He's dependable. The sower does what a sower does. He scatters the seed. The seed in the story, the seed is incorruptible. The seed is the same. The seed is about the word and the kingdom of God. So there is nothing corruptible about the seed. The only thing that changes in the parable is where the seed lands. And Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor here. He's talking about the soul. But let's examine this a little closer. Because he begins with the path. He says the path. The path. Look at, look at verse 19 as he explains this to the disciples. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So for those who... Whose, whose heart is like a path, means that we're just busy going and coming. The seed, has been, the seed has been scattered, but we don't take the time to really hear it and understand it. And get this, the evil one comes along and snatches it away. The evil, evil one does not keep us from being able to understand it. It's that when we don't understand, that's when the evil one comes in and snatches it away from us. And that's a dangerous place to be in. I would, I would point us to Paul. Paul in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Look what Paul said about this. Paul said, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, unbelievers, do in the fertility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I didn't put this on the screen, but I think it's worth going on a little bit further. This is what happens. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. These are people whose hearts are like the path, hard, unresponsive. Do not study. Do not, do not take time to consider what it is that the Word of God is saying to them. But he goes further. And you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm not there. You know, I, I've heard the word and I've received the word. Okay, that's good. That's good. But maybe, maybe we might fall in this category because he moves from there to rocky soil. Verse number 20, 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Oh, we, we, we know this. We know people in this situation. New converts, new believers, people that hear the gospel for the first time. 
You know, isn't it exciting to be around them? They're so excited. They're just, they're just jumping with joy. They have so much, they just have such good plans and, and they, their life has been transformed, but they have no depth to the understanding that they receive. And then when trouble or persecution come their way, and it will come their way, and, and, and as Jesus said, when it starts to grow, because it grows, the plant grows. But when trouble and persecution comes their way, it's like the sun just withers it and it starts to die. You know, we don't, we don't face trouble and persecution because of the world, or because of the word in this country. And I was tempted to just say, okay, this doesn't pertain to anybody in here, but God said, no, no, don't be so, don't be so fast to skip over that. Let me explain why. Go back to the new convert. They hear the word. They receive the word. The word begins to transform their lives. They, they have all this joy. But you know what happens. If they remain in the environment that they, in which they were in, around the people that they hung out with, those people are usually not believers and they are opposed to the gospel. You get the picture? And before we know it, three months, six months, sometimes even a year later, there was such joy, they were, they were so full of joy and they were just, just in everything and every time the church doors opened, they were, but then they started to fall away because those people that they're around, they don't want to hear the gospel and they begin to persecute them and cause trouble against them because they do. So we have to be careful there. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to the thorny soul. Verse number 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Unfruitful. What does fruit have to do with this? We were talking about soil and plants, but we said it was a parable. Jesus is using this this is something that we're for me with to get to a spiritual point. You see, not only is he not just talking about soul, but he's talking about the human heart. Not only is he he's talking about the heart, but is he also talking about our ability to be fruitful? Because this, 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 this thing about the kingdom, this news about the kingdom, it's just, it, it is for us, but it's just not for us only. It is for others that are around us. It transforms us, and then we transform, other, transform others by, by them being around us and hearing and seeing the examples that we live our lives. Another factor in this thorny soil, Jesus doesn't say it, but it's, it's right there. See, another thing that can separate us is the garbage we have in our lives. You know garbage. It's stuff we engage with, do that has no kind of productive value whatsoever. You know, you're trying to spend some time with the Lord in the morning, but you can't get off Facebook. I didn't mean to go there, but you know what I'm talking about. That's just a little personal conviction for me. I just had to say it for myself. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm just confessing. I find myself minute after minute just scrolling, looking. And, I, and before I know it, it's time to go and do something else, and I've lost that valuable time when I wanted to carve out time to be in front in his presence. That thorny soul. Hebrews 6, 7 through 8. The writer of Hebrews says, Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those 
for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. What's the point? We keep entertaining these things that are not of God. We keep allowing bitterness, unforgiveness. We keep letting, we keep letting all this stuff crowd our heart, divide our heart. In the end, we, 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 we stand in danger of having a cursed life. And in the end, it will be burned. But then Jesus moves on and talks about the good soul. Somebody say, good soul. Yeah, y'all were looking kind of depressed out there. Let's go to the good soul. One more time, good soul. Yeah. Finally, there are those of us who have good soul. Good soul represents a heart that has been cleared of the rocks and the thorns and the garbage. A good soul is a heart that has been turned and made soft, ready to receive the seed. Good soil is a heart that has been nurtured and fertilized so that it has the nutrients of life. Fertile ground is ground that brings forth life and growth and fruit. And that is where we want to be. That's where we want our hearts to be. We want it to be good soil. Good soil that as the soil scatters the seed and the seed lands on, the, on our hearts, our hearts is rece- are receptive. And not only does it transform us, but it, it causes us to grow and mature. And we bear not just fruit, but much fruit and abundant fruit. What kind of fruit? I'm talking about love and peace and joy and patience. Y'all get the picture, right? And see, when we get that stuff going on in us, it's contagious and it, get, it gets in other people. And before we know it, we transform our, our, our families or our communities with this love and this peace and this joy. That's what Jesus is after in our heart. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up by saying this. We started out talking about soul. But I believe that you, I think you get it. I think we have ears to hear. I think now we realize Jesus was really putting his finger on the condition of our heart. That's what he was really trying to get to. The condition of our heart. See, when we talk about the path, the condition of our heart, when we talk about the path, Condition of heart can be unexamined or unaware. The condition of our heart when we talk about the rocky soil could be hard or unresponsible, unresponsive. The condition of our heart, if we've got, if we've got that, that thorny soil, it could be divided and cluttered. But oh, when we have good soil, when our heart is good soil, when our heart is soft and pliable and receptive, then we can, we can take part in the abundant life that Jesus promises us. We see this. We see this played out. We see this played out in the life of Peter. Remember Peter? Peter was one of the 12. He answered the call to follow Jesus. And yes, that soil, he, he, was, he was receiving all of this knowledge. He was growing and maturing. He was making statements that Jesus was basing his, the church on. But then remember that night, when he denied him, like he was to- like it was told, he was de- he denied Jesus, and what happened? He went from a soft, pliable heart 
to a hard and unresponsible because he left everything and went back to doing what he was doing. But see, it transformed. He went from there to over here, but then Jesus gets him back over here on this side again. And then look what happens. On the day of Pentecost, he stands up and thousands of people come to the Lord. We see it in the life of Judas. Judas was one of the twelve. See, the thing about the, about, about the condition of the soil, two through four, all of it from the surface looks the same. If you notice, all of them had some kind of growth right away. And Judas did too. But somewhere along, he got disillusioned. Somewhere along the way, things didn't work out like he thought they should. Somewhere along the way, he got tempted by the temptation of, 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 of getting some money in exchange for selling them out. Paul, Paul himself, started out as a hard, unresponsive man to the gospel. He was, he was convicting Jews. He was killing Jews. But then he had that encounter with Jesus. What's the point I'm making? See, we can go from one to the other. We can go back and forth. And, but then there's, there's something about the work of God in our lives, combined with the things that we can do as well, that can keep us coming back to good soul. Keith is going to bring that part and close us out. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, you know, what you, one of the things you're getting at in this parable is that there is a tension here between God's work and our work. I mean, I think it's, it's very, very important to remember that only God can bring forth fruit. Only God, only God can create a seed. Only God can bring the seed. And only God can bring forth life into that seed. In the same way, only God can bring the kind of life that we're after. And yet... We are responsible for the condition of the soil. We're responsible for how we respond to what God longs to do. And so as we close, I just want to touch on two things, and they're really two sides of the same coin that help us to to become good soil. Uh, On the one hand, it's about turning from something to something. It's about repentance and pursuit. So on the one hand, we are repenting of spiritual complacency. We're repenting of spiritual, of self-sufficiency. We're repenting of of any sin that stands between us and God. We're repenting, and this is one that I find that I wrestle with all the time. Maybe you do as well. We're repenting of the idea that following Jesus means God will make my life work. As opposed to understanding that following Jesus is about dying to self and getting fixed in and and honed in on his work. Isn't it amazing how we turn those things around so much? And and so much of, uh, uh, quite frankly, of American Christianity is about, God, I will follow you, but the deal is you make my life work. As opposed to, God, I am coming after you and my life is open to whatever you desire. I am yielded to you, repenting of anything short of that. And the other side of it is seeking after him, pursuing him with all of our heart. We see this all throughout Scripture. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when? 
When you seek me with what? All, all your, heart. your heart. God says, come after me with all your heart. Don't be complacent. Don't, don't settle for the status quo spiritually. Come after me with all your heart and you will find me. I think about Jesus' words in Matthew 7 when he says, uh, ask and keep on asking. Let's go to that next slide. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then Paul in Philippians 3. This is what he says in 3, 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that yearning, that desire to press in and to press on? Now, now here's what's fascinating about Paul's words in Philippians. Because in Philippians 4, Paul talks a lot about contentment. He says it's important for us to be content. But where he speaks of contentment, he's talking about in terms of this world. He says, I have learned to be content in this world. I'm content with much or I'm content with little. This is where Paul says that famous quotation, for I can do all things in Christ. That's not about football games and and doing uh, superhuman things in our own flesh. It's about being content in any circumstance in this world. But he says, what I'm not content in is for more of God. I am always pressing toward more for him. I am discontented when it comes to wanting more of God and more of his life and power. Now, here's what's challenging to me and maybe to you is that we tend to flip that on its head and we get, we pursue the things of this world while we're content with the status quo with God. We get satisfied with the stuff of God, but we want more of this world. In order to see God move deeply and powerfully in our lives, we got to flip that back around to the right way spiritually that we determine I will be content in terms of the things of this world, but I'm always going to long for more in terms of him. It's pressing on. God God loves the the, the seeker and the asker, the presser, uh, those who continually pursue him. Now, Derek talked earlier about country folks, and I actually thought you were one of those too, more I am or less. Proudly, <laughs> I, just, I just want to make sure of that because I definitely am one of those. You may not know this, but I grew up in a little bitty town in South Georgia that was surrounded by farms, and everything in our whole town was oriented toward agriculture. So all this talk of soils and bearing fruit uh, it, it has a lot of meaning for me personally. Uh, in fact, one year. Actually, most of my jobs as a teenager and even into, into my college years was, was farm-related. Uh, I basically worked my way through college with a summer job that was involved, that was being a peanut and cotton scout. Let me explain what that is, because I know, that, does anybody here know what a peanut scout is? Well, there's about 
Two. two. I see two. Yeah. All right, there's two of you know what I'm talking about. Peanut Scout or Cotton Scout, you walk through fields all day long in the middle of the summer in the Georgia scorching heat. You are looking for bugs and you're looking for disease. You working as a consultant to the farmer to say, hey, this is what's in your field. This is what you need to do to, to fix it and make it better. I spent an entire, no, not one, four summers of my life being a peanut and cotton scout. I can tell you that there were many times that I cried out to the Lord in the middle of that summer heat, God, why am I doing this? He said, well, first of all, it's getting you through college. I said, okay, that's That's good. <laughs> But there's more because I really felt like the Lord wanted me to get something out of it. And here's what began to dawn on me. What began to dawn on me is this. If you, if you desire a great field of weeds, you know what you have to do? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. If you want a field of weeds, don't do anything. Just let the ground sit there and watch it grow weeds because the ground will grow weeds with no effort on your part whatsoever. If you've ever even tried to grow a garden in your backyard, you know what I'm talking about here. It takes nothing to grow weeds. But if you want something valuable, something fruitful, something life-giving, the farmer has to plow the land, plant the seed, harrow the, 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 the weeds, pull the weeds, whatever it takes to do that. Uh, watch out for the insects. Watch out for the disease. Make sure it's got plenty of water and fertilizer. It is hard work raising crops that are valuable. And I want to say that there is a connection here spiritually. There is no question that only God can do the work of bringing life in you and in me. But he will not do it for one who does not desire it. He will not do it for one who is not hungry for more. If we become content, complacent, then we will begin, our hearts will begin to be fallow. And we'll see more and more weeds and less and less fruit. So I want to ask you this morning to let God search your hearts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on out. And as they come out... I want to ask you if you would take a moment today before we leave. Would you take a moment to let God search your heart? Uh, you know, going back to Derek's part of this message, the, uh, the path represents in many ways the unexamined life. I can tell you that what your enemy wants is for you to say, I'm, so, I'm fine where I am. I don't want to look deeper. I don't want the Lord to show me the true state of my heart I just want to be content right where I am. I want to encourage you today to have the courage to say, Lord, show me the true state of my own heart. And I want to ask you today to do business with God, whatever that means for you. It might mean repenting and and letting go of some things that you need to let go of. It might be coming to him for the very first time and saying, Lord, I, I need this kind of life. And I'm ready to follow you for the first time in my life. Whatever that may be, there are going to be people up here ready to pray with you. Come on if you're part of the prayer team. And uh, if you would like someone to pray with you, just go to one of them and they'll, they'll pray with you. If you just need to get on your knees, there is something, there's nothing magical about these altars, but I can tell you this. All my life, there has been something spiritually significant about getting on my knees bowing before the Lord and saying, Lord, do in me what I need you to do today. 
And I want to encourage you to come and just get on your knees and ask the Lord to do what you long for him to do. Worship team's going to lead us. Would you all just stand and let's begin to respond as the Lord leads you to respond. Let's do business with him as we sing together.